I'm Lacey. And I'm Kippen. We're two friends who love to get lost inside a great story. And we're welcoming you to our own little book club. This is One Page More, a podcast. All right, here we are in 2022. And... I am going to apologize at the top of this show for my heavy pregnancy breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Kippen is, there's no way before this episode, like the next episode gets released, you won't have had the baby. Surely. Knock on wood, baby. Because (laughs) I'm at the point where like, by the end of the night, it feels like my belly's going to split open like a ripe melon. Like. There's horrible sounding and it feels horrible. So it's the it's the right simile there. Those last like two weeks, I remember just like crawling into the bed with like tears <laughs> running down my face. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Life is hard. Oh, I got like crazy nesting energy yesterday, but then today my packer all day. So it was like <laughs> from the crazy nesting energy that you like clean yeah. out your whole garage. Yeah, oh yeah. I did clean out my garage, but then, like, everything else was kind of half done. So today I had to live with my mistakes. (laughs) But that's okay. Tomorrow's another day. I doubt the baby will be here tonight or tomorrow. I was actually just talking to my friend about how I have such a mental block around packing my hospital bag. Like, I hate packing a hospital bag. Really? See, I was so like, to me, I'm like, that's like an exciting thing. I'm like, thank goodness it's almost go time. Like, I specifically remember I was like, I gathered up like $20 in dollar bills and coins because like the first time when Tad Lucille were born, my my oldest, like, you know, I had no money and like we, you couldn't use the little machines, whatever. So oh this my time, goodness. I was like, we will <laughs> not <lost>. start. <laughs> we will have good food, like from the dang vending machine. And of course we get there and it's like the, you know, you swap your card and go, right. like, oh, this is all the updated. And I was like, well, we've got $20 in change. <laughs> you know, what's depressing to me is that I always like visualize whatever meal I'm going to have right after I have the baby, like while I'm in labor. And because of COVID, I don't like Jared can't leave. So I'm like, can I even DoorDash or am I going to have to settle for some crap hospital food? Is there anything at the hospital? We actually had a Panera. that was the only restaurant, but I was like, actually, yes, let's have Panera. In the hospital? Yes. Well, it was attached to the hospital, so it wasn't considered leaving the hospital because, yeah, Graham couldn't leave. So he just, like, went down to a different wing, got the food, Mm -hmm. and then came back. No, there's, like, a janky, we sell Starbucks coffee, not a Starbucks. Right. And then then there's, like, the cafeteria. So I wasn't real impressed with the food, Boston. I don't but it's surrounded by like awesome stuff. There's literally like a Carabas two seconds from the hospital, and I'm like, uh, "It's too bad you're not delivered at the hospital Brian. that I delivered at." Because I'm not kidding, that hospital. I for years have trash talked hospital food, <laughs> but I was there for five freaking days, and they had like a. It was literally like a, a seven or eight page menu, like. So I would, I almost always got like breakfast all day. So I would get like a well done omelet (laughs) or I'd get like a big thing of like grits and, uh, grits and bacon or like, you know, like all the best. So good. I just remember like nothing had salt. 
Like, it was just, like, so bland. Which is the hospital, so I guess they can't do that. But anyway. <laughs> on a different today, note. Today we're going to talk about a totally different journey of parenthood uh, from several different perspectives. We read Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene. Um, at first, when I started this book... I was like, what have I done? Like, what have we done? (laughs) Because it was, it did get me pretty fast, but it was like, I just wasn't expecting it to be as serious as it was. But again, it's like classic that we have no idea what we're reading before (laughs) we read it. So there you go. Were you surprised with how serious it was? No, uh, and only because, like, if you read the blurb, it says, like, multiple times, like, a traumatic event tears these two mm. families apart. Gotcha. How yeah. can they live, you know, with, with what has <laughs> happened? So I definitely felt like it kind of set the scene of, like, you know there's going to be some. Plus, it, listen, if it's contemporary fiction, I I know there is going to be a major traumatic moment that the whole book will center around. And so, and that's just kind of how it was. Well, and this book gives nothing away by title, nor does it give anything away by, by cover art. I'm actually still a little like, where did this title even come from? I, whenever I finished the book, I was like, what is the point of this? Yeah. There's (laughs) a, there's a reference. Like, maybe in like the last chapter that's kind of like an ask me again type thing but uh yes but it's it's that's not even the word though it's no no that, no, no that's aggravating. i mean it's a stretch for me to like give them to give mary beth <laughs> that but i'll blame it on her publisher because she wrote a great book so this book is about two families that intersect um, it actually happens, starts like in the 70s and then it goes through the 2000s, um, right up into the teens, I guess. And it's basically about this family and one of them is like fairly functioning. The other one is more dysfunctional with like a person that has mental illness as part of the family and their children, a boy and a girl, uh, are grow up and are best friends. And then this very traumatic event happens and it affects the rest of their lives. <laughs> I mean, I think to, to talk, to give more than that was probably too spoilery. Yes, I agree. Um, the book, it kind of centers at different times around the six characters, but it really focuses on three of them. Um, and you get to know them all very intimately. Mm-hmm. I did not expect this book to be as phenomenal as I truly felt that it was. I was, yeah. I was honestly astonished by how much I loved this book. It was, it was very engrossing. And I actually had like a little tummy bug over the weekend. And even though I listened to it, it was still a can't put down type situation where I just whipped through it. I've listened to it so quickly. Um, it took no time at all. And it really felt like it felt just like the best movie, you know, it felt like, like I was watching an Oscar worthy movie. <laughs> I completely agree. There was like, 
we very briefly text about this and you're like, you know, there's not really anything special about this book. And <coughs> you're right. It there's mm-hmm. not other than it was just was it masterfully written? I don't know, but it truly did suck me down the daggum rabbit hole. Last night I got in the bed, it was ten o'clock and I was like, Okay, I'm gonna go to bed early and I got to think about this dang book. I started listening to that book and for over two hours I was cleaning up my bedroom and listening to the book and just thinking like how I wanted to finish it. I had like three hours to go and I was like, okay, I've got to go to bed. But it was just that good where I was like, oh, like I really want to know what's fixed to happen to these characters. Like how has this big event affected the future of, of these two families? Yeah, I um, I just, I think it's like very plainly written like it's very straightforward but it's still I don't know it just has a great tone like a tonality the way people talk to each other is very natural um everyone is pretty interesting like she has some really strong characters in here where you're you immediately identify with them and even though they do grow and change it's like they stay pretty true to themselves and there is a lot of trauma and drama in this story but it's stuff that is relatable in one way or another i mean the big event probably won't be to most people but i personally felt very affected by most of the stuff that happens in this book the, where I could relate in some way so that yeah it's like it's not special but maybe that's what makes it special is that people can really see themselves and like real families in it yeah definitely there's a lot of um she adds she has a lot of layers a lot of depth a lot of like just different people approaching um one thing that happens and like there are different mm-hmm. responses to it and yeah, just very well done. So for me, I'm giving this a solid five stars. And I also, I, I kind of keep thinking about the fact that this book, like, I, yes, it's heavy. There's stuff going on. But it also was just very, like, I don't know. I was really kind of, like, surprised, like, the lack of sex and even, like, cursing. And, mm-hmm. like, it felt very clean to me, which is something that I feel like I very rarely feel whenever I'm reading like a contemporary fiction book am I crazy did you agree no it was a unicorn in that even though there was some swearing or like allusions to sex or whatever it was like clean while being very adult right that's what I mean it was like a a light hand not not like an unbelievable like everyone's chased and celibate or whatever (laughs) but like a very believable way of going about it that I was like okay she she didn't need to lean in to sex, drugs, and rock and roll to make this interesting. Definitely. And a lot of people do use that as like shock value or right. trying to draw in their spice it up. <laughs> people. Okay, what what is your rating? Someone had dropped mine. So maybe oh, should... five stars for sure. I loved it. Nice. Um, and for should you read it, should you listen to it? We both listened to it. I love the narrator. What did you think? I thought the narrator was great. Um, Several of the characters in this book are Irish. And she had a little bit of a brogue without being ridiculous. (laughs) Right. Understandable. Um, I feel like sometimes you get a narrator that like lays it on so thick that it's like, what are you saying? 
And I really liked her voices for Peter and for um Francis. Oh my gosh, for well for Francis and um for yeah, I like I just really liked her male voices. I thought she did a good job with that. And oh, that's kind of hard sometimes. Do you yeah, mean my beloved George. <laughs> yes, I love you. Totally, I love George too. Um, but yeah, I would definitely listen to it. I there was a point, probably forty percent in, where I was like, I would ravage this book <laughs> if I had it in my hands. I would finish it so fast. Um, but on the other hand, it was very pleasant to listen to her and play Woody Puzzle and just relax <laughs> in my bed. <laughs> Definitely. I actually um, was going to check it out. I was like, okay, I need, I can read this faster than I can listen to this. And there was yeah. only one copy and yeah. it was like, there was like five holds on it. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll under. Okay. Are we ready to jump to spoilers? Have we accomplished let's, everything? Let's do it. Um, the book opens and you learn about Francis, who is an Irish immigrant and his partner, um, who is marrying an Irish girl, he mentions. And he decides he's going to be a cop after coming here and, like, working in a bar or whatever. And then very quickly after that, you see him get married to Lena, and they leave New York City, and they move to the Burbs. And they're still, like, close to New York City because he's still a cop there. Um, but, yeah, they, they just kind of move out of the city and Lena is actually the first person that struck me, but I feel like at the top of the book is where you get the most of her character, and there's a lot of development that happens right there, but I do miss her throughout the story. I wish there was just a little bit more of Lena. I completely agree. The author really set it up as like, you know, Lena, ha- like she lives with her mama and her daddy, and like they're all very involved, and her sisters, and then she's like basically rushed away and then i you know she's like oh did i i don't really know this man all that well and now we're gonna live in this like totally random place and now i'm pregnant and and i really want a friend and yeah i felt like the ball was a bit dropped like i get it she wanted to focus on the um Mm -hmm. you know the younger characters but i agree with you where i was like man like i would have loved another chapter about lena and her really like okay i've lived here for 10 years i still don't really have a lot of close friends Um, you know like more of her challenges even maybe just a few paragraphs at the midpoint and then at the end that are more like starkly her perspective i would have liked because you do get francis later on um and i don't know it just like you pretty i guess lena is kind of like what you see is what you get I really related to Lena. She's very like like a brassy broad. She loves really hard and deeply. I liked that there was this moment when she's like a young mom and she's kind of like fantasizing about like running away from her, <laughs> her life and her mom is like, "Oh, don't worry. I thought about like leaving you with a neighbor all the time and then just like running and never going back." And she just starts laughing really hard because she's so shocked and then she starts sobbing and I was like yeah that's like new motherhood <laughs> for sure that's the feeling of being overwhelmed <laughs> yes yes and she has three little girls very quickly I mean within like five or six years she has these three little girls and 
um, eventually she gets her what she thinks is her dream come true when Francis's former partner and his Irish wife move in next door. Anne. And it killed me <laughs> how Lena was so kind to her and so excited. And I just like saw my own like overzealous self being like, yes, my new best friend just moved next door. This is awesome. Like, this is, we're going to be BFF. I'm pretty sure she's pregnant. Da, 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 da. And then it just like falling so beyond flat. One of, or my very first note was how Lena like, goes out to the mailbox and like she talks like how she strategically does it whenever Anne's pulling up from work so she yeah. could be like, "Hey neighbor," and yeah, like you know she's literally like waving and then Anne just like turns around and ignores. <laughs> like, no, and that's the thing is Lena's not even like a busybody. She's like genuinely so friendly and kind. And, like, really wants a friendship. She doesn't want to just, like, stick her nose in somebody's business. And that's why it hurts so bad. Oh, for sure. Here is one of the things, like, one of my first, not even qualms, but more of, like, why. Where the book kind of starts off and it's like, okay, they're partners. But um, Francis doesn't really even like Brian, his partner. Brian is kind of, like, like super braggy, um, just not really like his kind of person but yet he's like hey dude there's a house next to me open he also talks about like how he gets with these like weird vibes from Anne. Mm-hmm. he kind of gathers that maybe she's like i think at one point he says like she's not all there in the head or something like to that effect of like okay she's clearly different from me and you lena and mm-hmm. so i was like sir what made you think these are like your <laughs> you know what i mean like dream neighbors like what I just was like, <sighs> I don't get this. I actually feel like it's totally excusable because it's such a man thing to do. Like, they weren't, they only worked together, I think, like six weeks. And then Brian ends up getting transferred to something. And Francis moves up the line. Like, he's a very hard worker, very driven, and just very different from Brian. And I feel like I can almost picture them running into one another because I think Brian is the one that even mentioned, hey, you should check out this town early on um, to him. And that's why Francis even goes out there. But uh, I can I can imagine Brian coming up and being like, oh, so you made it. You're out and whatever. And him being like, oh, yeah, the house next door is, is free. And not even thinking about it. Like, my own husband would do something like that to somebody that he couldn't stand. I know he would. And then he would kick himself <laughs> for the rest of his As days. they move in. Like, yes. hey, bud. And with Anne, I immediately got the vibe. So they're both Irish. Um, although it makes a point to say they did not grow up. Uh, near each other and like there's definitely differences there I got the vibe that he never really met her um, but that from what from what Brian told him in his limited scope and then what he knows just about his own culture that kind of informed him I don't think he had any idea how crazy she was or would become right you're uh... I guess that's true. I just was kind of like, I think this is such a weird thing. Um, <laughs> one of the things that really did almost like make me cackle, and we talked about 
I think right before he hit the podcast, like whether or not Mary Beth Keene is Irish, but even like whenever mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, I'm about to marry my girl. And then like, she's having a baby in four months, whatever. And he's literally, or, you know, and he's like doing all the math, like, <laughs> and it's like, it was just a little habit. You know, it's like, I know it doesn't matter. I just picked it up from back home. And I'm like, man, I'm just imagining these like hard, like Catholic um, mm-hmm. Irish, you know, people that are just like, you know, abstain, abstain, abstain. <laughs> Anyways, it just made me there, tackle a couple times. There is the one little drop here that I was missing, and believe me, I didn't even really think about it till right now because it did not distract me while I was reading. We all know couples who are unhappily married much later in life, and you're like, wow, how did y'all? ever get together in the first place this book had the opportunity to show that perfectly with Anne and Brian um there's very little information on why besides the fact that she got pregnant why they were attracted to each other in the first place because Anne is a really hard character she does have mental illness and we'll get there she even says herself later in the book, like, I'm, I, I was unsure if it was the mental illness or if I was just really, really mean. Because she oh. is. She is so cold, so mean sometimes. And just like, you're just like, lady, I have so little sympathy for you. I, I mean, we read Sorrow and Bliss and the main character Martha there has some pretty serious mental illness. She's also funny and smart and I don't know, dedicated to her sister. And Anne is just ice cold. Yes. But if you remember the book said literally like it's six, seven different points. And it's like, I was thinking like supermodel gorgeous, like everybody, all of Peter's friends growing up are like, wow, like she's so pretty. Everybody at the grocery mm-hmm. store. And there's also, it talks about, um, I want to call this guy Stan. The, the last <laughs> name Stan Hope is so obnoxious <laughs> to me as a reader, especially Stan listening Hope. On, on audiobook. I'm like, I give, give him a regular last name, honey. Yeah. I cannot deal with this two syllable nonsense. But anyways, <laughs> but it talks about like Brian being handsome. So I just was thinking pretty much what happened is like the two yeah. of them are very attractive. They got pregnant very early. Mm-hmm. They wanted to do the right thing and get married. And then they were stuck whenever he yeah. kind of realized like, okay, she's actually like, you know, has a lot of problems, but he was already in the situation. And then well, she gets pregnant, yeah. like, you know, so that's what I kind of thought. And then at the beginning, I mean, she is very high functioning because she moved here from Ireland by herself. She's a nurse. Keeps she works. Job. Yeah. And she works even after she has the baby, she works. So it's not like she's stuck in be- right away, stuck in bed all day long doing nothing. So, yeah, you're probably right. She's the red hair and the long neck and the. Yeah. The I yeah. listen. The Irish, you the Irish you accent. know there is something so sexy about like an accent like it makes no freaking sense. There was a guy that moved to um oh my gosh can't believe this to my community to your college somehow he got like some I have no idea how he was like twenty three years old but he got like a scholarship he was directly from Scotland and whenever I tell you. <laughs> That man was the, <laughs> I thought, the hottest thing on this earth. We had a class together, and my 
my teacher was like the soccer coach and he was like obsessed with him and he would call on him all the time. And I loved to just like listen to this man speak. Like he was already handsome and like he couldn't have been that good at soccer because he's going to a two year <laughs> community college. But you know what I mean? He was okay. <laughs> but that on top of that accent, I was just like obsessed the, with this man. The king of South Georgia. I've, listen, <laughs> I, I remember he was, he liked one of my Facebook pictures one time and I thought I was going to like died like sheer joy oh, <laughs> anyway man. interesting so jamie frazier wasn't the first scott you love <laughs> listen <laughs> i'm not kidding a man with an accent can draw me right on in <laughs> but anyways so okay so lena and francis have three children they have three little girls and then Anne and brian they have a stillborn son and then a few years later, they have um, Peter, who is their would will then be their only child. Um, and Peter and is the same age as their third yeah, daughter, right? So Peter and Kate are the same age, and it it does a jump to where they're like in maybe the eighth grade, I think. I think maybe they, they it starts off younger, second grade, but yeah. it's like a quick blip, and then it jumps up to right. They sh- she does a good job pretty much showcasing that they were very close and that they played outside a lot even though lena could never win them over um and did let peter play with them so anyway they have this very close-knit friendship i loved when they were like talking about how they always rode the bus together and they they sat in the same row and when they were little like in the first grade they would compare their hand sizes and like how they had grown out of that now, but it was just like, just so sweet. Just <laughs> like very, a lot of sweetness and very little kiddish, also. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and so as you're learning about Kate and Peter's little relationship, and Kate is very, um, very brash, I guess. I mean, she's a lot like her mom, probably. She's a really strong personality, she knows what she wants. She's also her dad's favorite probably because of that like sass it's like the same thing that he loves in his wife um she is close to her sisters but not like friendly with her sisters which i always find interesting just like familial relationships especially because i have three girls going on four girls now um whereas peter is obviously an only child but he's also more mild more sweet tempered more um i don't know gentle yeah uh one of the things I, we've talked about this a good bit with some of our characters where just like a Dooney um from uh girl with a louding voice and like donis from uh firekeeper's daughter he just had that like goodness in him and yeah later i really was like oh, okay like this was probably like a huge coping mechanism for this man and like some of the hard and difficult things he went through as a child just by having like a mama who was just like not totally stable and who would go through just like a lot of manic episodes and then would go into you know like a, a period of like normalcy um but yeah like he was definitely just like this goody two shoe goody two shoes type of child you know it's like oh like he's the valedictorian like he's um he's very studious but he's also very kind and just like sweet and like he would never get into trouble kind of thing so yeah he's definitely just like a little a little goody goody but 
not yeah. in an obnoxious way, in like an endearing kind of way. Oh yeah, nothing is sweeter than Peter. He's so sweet, and it just kills you that he he really does do everything to be this people pleaser especially to his mom and like keep the peace where he's like if I'm perfect then she can't not love me that's how it came off to me um and he would always say like I know that she loves me like I know that she does even though she will say horrible things to him like I should have never had a child it's the biggest regret of my life or you're just like this is one thing that killed me it starts going her mental health basically is breaking down and at some point she has a full mental breakdown at a grocery store while he's waiting for her in the car and it's like one of her big public meltdowns for the first time after having these bouts where she can't leave her bed for days on days and he would say like oh but then my mom would be back like she would come down and like make dinner or something and at the grocery store they actually find a gun in her purse and that's like a pivotal moment because Francis Gleason um the neighbor kind of helps Brian cover it up kind of because it's Brian's gun for work and they don't think it's a big deal or they're just like oh she wasn't going to use it or whatever and so they just kind of gloss over it and don't say anything about it but then right after that like a like a like a day after that she just like goes and digs into Peter and starts mocking him for being just like his father and which is so absurd because Brian is like lazy and just kind of adult in a lot of ways and it's just like any spot of empathy that I had for her was just gone and it's it also is funny because it kind of talks later in the book how he is so much more like his mama yes it's like (laughs) she doesn't want to look in the mirror I guess um yeah so as she's like as it gets to this point in the book, it kind of begins to, like, slowly, like, tell a couple, like, different little things about, like, what she has done. And, like, I really was, I, I, I'm trying to remember if this was around the age where it talked about, like, the ship. Where, like, she raised the episode and spent, like, 600 and something dollars on, like, a, I was just imagine like, a ship that you kind of, like, put together. And then it's kind of, like, the kind that you just, you would imagine somebody, like, putting it on display kind of thing. Yeah, I'm thinking your grandfather's library. There is a full blown, you know, <laughs> right, build, build it little ship, Spanish galleon. I I think it's more like like professional, like you'd see it almost in a museum. Because yeah, it was like six hundred bucks, and he didn't build it. It came oh, fully I thought, built. Okay, so maybe that's what I misunderstood. Yeah, and then like, but of course, being a kid, it's like, oh, I want to. I would have pushed this down the stream. It's like he would have been better off for her to spend $10, you know, at like a little like toy store or something. And so, of course, it's, anyways, it gets a little messed up. His mom finds that he had like left it in like a. He left it in the garage. Right. Like what she considered to be an unsafe place. And then so to prove a point to him, she like destroys it. I was just like it real that was like a very good um uh way for her like for the author to show to me that this woman is just like 
just how bad, how far gone she can be when she's in this situation. Because she talks at the beginning, like, oh, like, don't tell your dad how expensive it was. It was so much money. Like, this is an awesome thing for you and the, t- like, for us to share together. But it was so yeah. expensive. And then it's just like, you know, within like a flash, that's like out the door. She's just like enraged. She's like, okay, well, you're going to suffer. So here you go. Well, and there's so much um, manipulation that happens there, too. Like, telling your I don't know 13 year old 12 year old son like this is a secret this costs 600 dollars you know like you I can tell that you are a good boy and that you have great taste because you like this ship so much like it's just and Peter just wants to please like (laughs) he wants her to even says like it's boring like it's a it's a boring gift but then this man is the classic to me top nine on the enneagram (laughs) where i'm like sir he will bite his tongue and like you know like he might think like oh wow but but at the end of the day he's like i will put on a front and i will pretend the best that i can yeah (laughs) to keep these people happy he he really tries so hard and and he also like tries to achieve at the same time you know um anyway i want to ask you so it kind of talks a bit about his dad's relationship with him or or excuse me his dad's relationship with his mom as far as like you know he kind of like walks upstairs and whatever but i felt like it didn't go into a lot of his dad's relationship with him other than like oh like they went to met's game and Mm -hmm. later that's like such a crucial point of the story i did did you feel as if she didn't like fill in a lot? Did you expect what was going to happen? Like with the, him and the dad? Um, I don't know. I feel like Brian always seemed so passive that it didn't super surprise me. Like he, there's just a certain breed of man who lets this stuff go on in his house you know what I mean and lets his child be treated a certain way and kind of just he's almost the same that kind of nine-ish personality but like in the negative way where it's like I'm just going to disassociate myself so much (laughs) that I'm not like he's going to lean into the sloth portion of that you know what I mean it's like I'm going to just not rock the boat and whatever leave him alone and so the bare minimum that I will pour into my child will have to be enough. So sad. <laughs> it really sure. is. I'm trying to think. I guess is it so then it's our big incident. Yeah. So I what did you oh. think the big incident was gonna be? Did did you have any speculations before? Mm, not that it was gonna be that. Um, I I was sure Peter was gonna die. I literally was like, <laughs> she's she's gonna kill him. Like I just knew. I was mm. so freaking stressed. I'm like, how could she do this to her baby? So yeah, I I'm not sure what I thought, but before we get to the terrible part, I loved their first kiss. So Kate and Peter are in eighth grade now, and they end up sneaking out one night and basically like meeting up in a tree house and like talking to each other and like just being so sweet and innocent and they kiss and they talk about how I think Peter talks about how he wants to get married to her one day or whatever um 
and I think it was like the day before this or a few days before this there was an incident where like he she Kate and Peter are playing and her his mom comes out and basically Kate had gotten hurt and Peter like touched her face or something and they have this moment and Anne freaks out and is like basically calling this child like a hussy and she, like she, going off she basically Peter. is adding like she's the manipulator because she's like oh you think right. you're so smart and I was like right well, well, and, then, and then it's like on top of that Lena comes out Kate's mom and she sees what's going on and in, instead of protecting Kate at that moment she's so embarrassed because she has all this pent-up energy around Anne that she slaps Kate she she slaps her across the face that moment was really like I I, not that I want to relate to the slapping thing but I definitely like I get so embarrassed when we go to like a Mm -hmm. store or a restaurant or something and my kids are acting crazy like some people I know really can like not really bother them but it really really like bothers me and it was one of those things that like when I when I was listening to that moment I was like oh my gosh it's just that like just like you said like that deep shame and then yeah. like you just react in like such a like poor way I was like oh my gosh I was also glad that <laughs> Peter was like hey look she's already hurt like why do you have to do that? right I it right you don't come out of that moment like hating Lena because like I mean like I said it's just it's so relatable and it's like hopefully you or I wouldn't do that but you could see it why she did it right oh (laughs) for sure and you know that she felt terrible after right when you don't hate her because you know that like Lena is (laughs) a genuine good person and she really loves her kids like that was a parenting mistake yes but yeah it's not like she it's like a, a constant abuse kind of thing yeah so basically right after that so like the stakes are already high there's already that level of shame there's this level of pressure um you know Anne has recently had this mental breakdown that was kind of brushed under the rug of like oh well you know you fell apart in the grocery store but you'll be better in a few days or whatever and (laughs) Lena catches Kate um sneaking back in the house after they met up and she is very upset and literally like marches over to the other house because she sees peter and i was just like cringing like lena why read the freaking room i i I needed that to be explained (sighs) to me because it was such a head banging moment where I'm like look I know I, I guess she was trying to do it in validation that like okay your son is not this like perfect little boy like, yeah but I was just like y- you know she's not she can't deal with this like why are you doing mm-hmm. this to your child oh I just think Lena was so far mentally removed from who Anne is that she could not I don't even think she could have imagined that Peter would have been like physically punished, for example. Does that make sense? Like, I don't think she would have done that knowing that Peter would have faced harm in a very serious way. I think she basically, yeah, wanted to be like, listen, I am a good mother 
and you're like, right. look, she's on a different I've foot. got an eye on my child. Meanwhile, yes. yours is sneaking out. You don't even have a clue. Right. Right. Oh, but anyways, yeah. So a, a domestic dispute, dispute happens. Poor old Anne finds the dadgum loaded gun of Brian's oh. again. The way that also it kind of like Peter's like almost a bit nonchalant about mm-hmm. the whole thing. I was like, this is a child that's seen a lot. If you're just right. <laughs> well, and later, I mean, he keeps it really cool. But when he finally, as an adult, lays out that night, he mentions that after his mom was caught with a gun, his dad started to hide it. But then he got sloppy, right? And then even more insidious, you get like a a glimpse from Anne later where she's like, I always knew where that gun was. And I would like laugh to myself. I would laugh to myself that he thought he was hiding it. And I was like, oh, evil, evil. (laughs) Um, But anyway, basically, Brian and Anne get, get all into it. And Brian just leaves. He just goes upstairs and leaves. And he sees Peter. He leaves her with the gun, though, right? And no, 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 no. He doesn't have the gun at that at that point. Peter says much later, as an adult, that they're fighting. That um, Peter or what's his face, Brian bails. He goes upstairs, leaving Peter alone with Anne. And Anne immediately gets a chair, drags it over to where she knows the highest cabinet is where the gun is and that's when he leaves so he never actually sees her with the gun but she he knows that's where it is and he knows what she's gonna do and he even says she he felt like brian was setting it up because he would rather and just like kill herself um, rather than have to deal yeah. with <laughs> seriously like why don't you just end it because I'm done and I'm not going to do anything about it. And so Peter marches over to the Gleason's house and it's like, I need to use your phone. Calmly calls 911 and it's like, my mom has a gun. You need to come. And poor old Francis with his like, <sighs> do good attitude. I, Seriously. I, I get it. But at the same time, I was like, sir, do you really want to be involved with your neighbors? Like, <sighs> You know what I mean? Like from a professional standpoint, like, you, you know, you, like that of mix and professional and like pleasure, like whatever. I was just kind of like, sir, step back some. But he can't. I, I know. I, I feel like I feel torn there because I could see myself wanting to be the Francis in that scenario where he had helped her like a few days before and like carried her in her house when she was zonked out and like I he he really was trying to do like the stand up guy thing and I also think that because this is coming from the mouth of a 12 or 13 year old he didn't totally trust it he's like I didn't think he said like oh you must be overreacting or in his mind he's like I don't know that he actually saw anything like that but what's even weirder to me is that when he does get there him and Anne's interaction, like, I'm pretty sure Anne was like, I'm so sorry I didn't want this to happen, or something. Right? <sighs> I, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. that. At that point, it, there was so much going on. I was, I don't even know, like, I was listening to it so fast. I basically only remember him getting over there, and Anne just, like, pulling out that gun, and I was 
mm. very surprised when he when he gets shot in the face. I was like, okay, yes. well, he's dead. Like, and I I really actually liked Francis. I was gonna tell you that one at the very beginning. Um, oh, me too. Like he just was like a just a stand up kind. Um, mm-hmm. A bit naive, you know, is what I kept thinking because of, <laughs> right. like, where he was raised versus him living in New York. But, like, a sweet, overall kind of guy. So, I was really like, oh, man. Um, I'm trying to think. We got to kind of, I think, accelerate this a little bit. <laughs> but, but, yeah, she shoots him in the head. Um, he ends up surviving. He loses an eye. He, I, I actually... I felt like like she did a good job of like explaining what was going on with him without making it too too gruesome. But basically, like every day, he's in like some like excruciating pain. And Lena, yeah. beloved angel Lena, <laughs> yeah. took on just the caretaker role, like ultimate 100%. caretaker. Right? Yeah. She's like she's food, spoon feeding this man. She's sponge bathing him. You know, it, you know, for the next like year, I think maybe took him have long period of time before he came home right and whenever he does every single night like she's getting in the shower with him and like making sure he's okay then whenever he's he's okay with it she's you know she's sitting in the toilet making sure like that while he's showering like he you know she's still right there like she's just she becomes the martyr Mm -hmm. um of like or you know like self-sacrifice i um I've had, like, issue with other books that deal with TBI and, like, just traumatic brain stuff in general and how it's portrayed. But I feel like this was actually pretty believable. And his arc of recovery was very believable. I mean, it takes years and years. And he finally does get almost to be fully functioning. Um and like just because of the way the bullet was or whatever like his life is saved and he can walk and he does have some disfigurement but eventually it's like not too terrible um but yeah I felt like she did a really good job with that I don't know you say it's not too terrible for years (laughs) his his girls wouldn't even like look him in the face like not only like everybody else and he talked about that like how that was hard for him but like his own children like would kind of like look at him kind of look around him because it was Mm -hmm. like they loved him but he was kind of that gruesome just from like having such a disfigurement it was hard for me to picture what he looked like, honestly, because by the very end, I remember Anne saying like he still looked like him. But then again, that was like, you know, it had been years yeah, later, <laughs> 20 years at that point. You know, she, she was what, 14 years old. So it's like yeah. almost her whole life. She knew him, you know, the second half of him. Right. Kind of deal. Right. I, I really loved this point right here because, of the, I mean, of course, although it's traumatic, but it, it starts focusing exclusively on Peter. We kind of forget the Gleason's. Like it, it tells us that little blurb of like uh, of Francis recovering and Lena taking care of him. But it really goes like completely into, um, you know, Anne is shipped off to a, um, a what would you even call this place? It's a mental I health- call it a mental institution. Like she's institutionalized, yeah. basically. As opposed to like being like tossed in jail because they're yeah. like, okay, she's, you know, it, she wasn't met. Actually, I think you talked about that too. She wasn't medicated or she wasn't properly medicated. Yeah. So that all had a, a big hand in it. And Uncle George to the rescue. Um, Brian moves in with his younger brother, and of course Peter goes along. And I just, I kind of just love this little idea of them, like, 
you know, like they're they're on like a little like pull out bed and mm-hmm. and Uncle George just like this like big barrel chested but like still sweet but like total like New Yorker. I don't know. I just was like I really enjoyed that point. Although it was like the hardest parts of Peter's life. Yeah, it was a good dynamic because Brian like very quickly is like, I'm gonna move south. This is my fresh start. You can come with me if you want, but I don't really want you to. So and just the fact that, like, later in his life, Peter realized that um, George was only, like, 28 at the time. And his dad moves, and he rarely hears from him or gets any support from him ever again. And George totally steps up and becomes, like, his dad. And he gives him really solid advice. Like, he really is there for him and is a huge voice of reason in his life. Yes, I love you, Uncle George. Um, I uh, I just could not believe the fact that Brian was leaving him. Be- yeah. Because Anne, you know, Anne had just committed this crime. They had moved um, to a new area. Like, you know, he, he couldn't even see his mama. Obviously, she's, you know, in a uh, mental institute. And every once in a while, he's, like, going up and seeing her. But I just was like, how can you relieve yourself of guilt Mm. and do this not even as a parent but even just like as a human being wouldn't you think you'd have some remorse but he apparently basically never does is what I was kind of thinking yeah I just I'm like this is where your quote unquote backbone kicks in like he did have a moment when Peter was young where he attempted to like leave after Anne had done something but he doesn't get far, you know, and it just like fizzles into nothing. And it's like, you could have packed up your child and had your dream life many years ago and gotten out of this toxic woman's clutches, but you just didn't care enough. And it's not like the man didn't have a reasonable job that he could transfer. Right. Right. I mean, you're right. He could take his son. He talked, Peter talks about as a little kid. Yeah. He's, they're getting like pamphlets and brochures. And his dad's talking about playing golf and whatnot down south. Yeah. So that was. Yeah. It was definitely hard to read. But in the meantime, Peter starts excelling. He is like a star. Um, uh, was it cross country or track Yeah, star. he's a runner. Um, and he gets into this like really great um, Catholic all boys school. You know, like he, you know, he really misses Kate and everything. But he's still kind of got the friends, but they're not like close friends. But, you know, on paper, he looks like he's going great. Yeah, Peter definitely closes himself off. It makes me really sad that he's never quite brave enough to reach out to Kate. Like, I get it. But then on the flip side, like, Kate is just, like, dying to find him. And she's trying. And she's kind of doing the same thing. Well, she, it, Both of them do this thing where you can tell they are so shaken by this moment that in their minds they caused in their lives and it's like they're playing the role of what they feel like a high school student should do and like Kate does it in a way that's like okay I have this boyfriend now I literally cannot stand him but I'm gonna date him anyway and like (laughs) whatever we're gonna do the prom night thing and 
hopefully he gets into a college out of state so I never have to see him again. <laughs> I laughed so hard at Andy, the boyfriend, where she just literally hated him so much. I, I had a friend. I had a friend in high school that had a very similar relationship. So I was like, oh my gosh. It's like, really, it, it's just, it is a weird it's a weird disassociation thing that they both do and it's different because on the flip side peter's like the star of the team and doing great in school but like has just really superficial relationships with everyone and he basically just hunkers down and focuses on running in school and that's it no one really knows him Right, he talks several times about like how people would like include him, like they liked him, but yeah, they're just, just like you said, very superficial. Um, which I didn't even think about it, but yeah, I guess Kate was the exact same way several times. Like she'd be kind of talking about things, and her friends were like, oh, "But your boyfriend is so hot," and she I was know. just like, "Well, I don't even like this man." I know, and it you can tell that it's like these are kids who lived through a very traumatic experience and it matured them in a way that other people wouldn't have been yeah and it just and that they don't even fully understand but they're trying they're trying their best also not to um be a bigger burden on everyone else in their lives like their mother who's now a caretaker or their uncle who's now also They're a caretaker. <laughs> um, I so you talked about like the good advice George gave. So Peter's going out for schools. He basically gets a full ride to a mm-hmm. really tiny school. Like basically, he's going to be like not only the star athlete, but like he gets like a stipend, like to, for you know for living. And anyway, so just like the perfect opportunity, and he's like going to turn it down. And I, you know, George is like, you a dumb dumb yeah <laughs> I think that's like verbatim what he said even the way he said it was like he said it in such a crass way that it I was rolling and at one point he's like what did he say I wrote it down it was like don't kids smoke anymore <laughs> <laughs> just like showing like how Peter was just this like I know it's shockingly cool. like golden child like he was yeah. like I don't even understand <laughs> Well, and Peter is like classic 18 year old where he's like, oh, but if I just like worked for a year at this construction job, then I could go to Dartmouth or whatever. And like, (laughs) it would be awesome. And like, you can just see the path laid before him of him giving up everything, like selling (laughs) his birthright for the mess of pottage and George will not let him do it. And you're, I'm so grateful. Right. George steers him right. Um, basically about whenever he gets into college, Peter has had enough. He sends a very coded letter to Kate, kind of like saying like, I, I, I'm, I still want to be your friend. Kind of let's get together. Right. I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but it was like a very vague. There's, he, he says, well, he actually has his first couple of drinks before he writes the letters. George has warned him over and over again that alcoholism runs in their family and to steer clear. And he does something and like has some beers at a bar for the first time and then gets bold and sends this letter, which is a good thing because Kate is still obsessed with him. Just like she, he's obsessed with her. It, their relationship is so believable and sweet and like built on genuine friendship in a way that I was just like 
rooting for so hard. Um, and it, it just, it made me really sad that they had to go through those like last four years without each other. I, I think maybe you said it earlier, like you didn't maybe know why they weren't reaching out, but I could mm-hmm. only imagine though being Peter, especially yeah. being Peter yeah. and your mom's the one that did it. And like, he, you know, just like this, yeah. like guilt of him, like, okay, yeah, I didn't do it, but you know, the person that raised me did. And that whenever the little, you know, it's talking about like the intertwining of the families. It's like, you just had no idea or, you know, at the beginning, just how closely these two are going to be together. Well, um, and, and not only that, he is up until this point, he is still trying to stay close to his mom. He rot. is the one going to see her in the hospital and she treats him like garbage. She openly is like, why are you here? I, at first, I thought that was like just such a, like a defense mechanism. And then later, we kind of see it from her perspective. It it wasn't really. It was just more of like. The time, the time (laughs) old question that we talked about in Sorrow and Bliss. Where does mental illness end and bad personality begin? Because I, there's just something about Anne where she has the ability to be mean as a freaking snake. Right. And just unlockable. And Peter puts up with it for years whenever he's in college yep. and she gets sent to a um, much more restrictive place. And, it, and, you know, he talks like it was like a four hour ride and it was expensive and like all this kind of stuff he went through. And his mom won't even seem that he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, yeah. I'm just not going to pursue this any longer. Like, you know, you're, she's not willing to put forth anything and I just cannot do this anymore, anymore mentally. Yeah. The loyalty finally, I mean, he doesn't really have a choice at that point. Like she won't put him on the roll to go see her. So. Right. And we have no idea, but poor old Anne later is like, at that point, I knew if he ever came back, I would see him again. And you're right. like, honey, 20 sure. years later. <laughs> okay. Also, so right right around this point is where we it goes a little bit into Francis. And it starts talking yes. about, like, Francis and Lena. And, like, not that he's resentful of Lena. But it's she's got to a point where it's, like, I think maybe it's around four years later, four or five years. And she's really babying him to the point yeah. that it is emasculating him. And he can't hardly stand it where he's like, okay, you know what? I did go through something terrible. I was in a bad place physically, but now I'm doing better and I don't want to be treated like this. Mm-hmm. And the second, the second that it mentioned they hadn't had sex, I was like, I know what yep. is happening. I can see it written on the wall. Yeah. Uh, that was hard for me to read about. It was believable that they would one, have a sexless marriage. And two, that he would eventually have an affair with someone that um, Kate was like, a, it's like a friend of a mom of her friend or something. Um, but that's where I was like, who is this woman that was like willing to like if he is like grossly <laughs> disfigured, like what's going on here? Well, the, she sets it up like basically like how she's. She has like, some issues for well, she, sure. She was setting her up like she was like the town hoe, where it was like, yeah, th- like you know, the second they get together, it's like, come on back to my place, mm-hmm. kind of vibe, where you're like, okay, like this woman has no 
she has no standards, so it's like totally. she'll accept anything. It's kind of like how she sets it up. So and that she told her own teenage daughter <gasps> about right. it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Psycho. Yes. <laughs> Which it comes out and like, ugh. of course, Lena is like very hurt. And then there's also this storyline afterwards where Lena gets cancer. Oh, and gosh. I was so upset with what a jerk Francis was about the cancer at first. Like, uh, the, he the, pulls it together, but I'm like, Francis, my friend, how you dare you? It, <laughs> you really need to rein it in here. He's just like, no, I need Lena to be my caretaker, not her own caretaker. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Was a hard point, but it, I felt like that was just so true of so many marriages. It's so, like, I yeah, know. I that was the best part and the most engrossing part of the second half of this novel is it stares straight in the face the reality of how hard good marriages can be, because you've got a bad marriage and that one's really hard too with Brian and Anne. But then when she delves into, like, the realities of really working on things and, like, forgiveness and what a, a true partnership looks like, like, I, it's relatable and it's just, it's, it's nice to read about, too. It's like, okay, hopefully you don't have to deal with this huge scope of things in your marriage, but everyone's going to have something. Right. And kind of like, how are you going to deal with those things when totally. the hand is dealt? Right. And you have it with, you know, people that have been married a million years. And then you have it with later with Kate and um, Peter. Right. So uh, basically, Kate and Peter, I'm trying to think if I'm skipping anything, they start um, casually seeing one another. Lena survives um, cancer. Um, she Kate ends up telling her dad like you know what I know you don't you're not like crazy about Peter because of his family <laughs> but I love him and I can't we're gonna be together I can't imagine how hard that would be as a parent oh. of like like again you're on the reader's side so I don't know about you but I I did want them to be together but I'm like do I 100% understand where the heck her parents are coming from absolutely for them i'm sure it had to feel like okay he's the one yes. person that we would want you to steer clear of yes because of like the the, the difficulties between our families not yeah. difficulties that's not a strong enough word because <laughs> of the extreme um duress our family has been through because of him or not excuse right. me not because of him because of you know his family and so every time we see him we're going to think about his family we're going to think about that night we're going to think about the years of living by him and how they turned on us and shot shot me in the face kind of thing (laughs) so definitely get that but yeah I also was like but Kate and and Peter love one another and they always have and they deserve one another I know well and then you get this weird voyeuristic view from Anne because eventually she gets out of the loony bin with thanks to a very dedicated doctor and whatever else. And when she's released and goes back into the real world, she she hires a private detective and finds Peter. And then over the course of probably 10 years, 
every couple of months she just stalks her son she never reaches out to him but she'll find him and come and like park in front of his house and just watch or um she she goes to his local run and places kippen and she's watching her son run kate kate Okay, this is one thing that was interesting to me. Kate spots her several times. And I guess it makes more sense because Kate sees her the very first time. And Kate is such a strong personality that is, she's like, back off. Like, what are you doing? Whatever. Um, but, like, Peter is supposed to be a comp. He yeah, is that's supposed to be observant. Like, how how does Peter never notice that she's there? And he really doesn't. I thought that was going to be a reveal that, later. That's a, like, he yes. always thinks. But no. That's the unbel- that was a bit of an unbelievable point. If yeah. maybe she, if maybe Kate was aware of it like one time. But yeah, the book claims a couple of times. The book, this, you say 10 years. She doesn't meet him, I think, until he's 39. So I think this happened for more like 15 to 20 years because I'm pretty yeah. sure it's right after he graduates college and he'd have been like 22. You're so, right. Cause I, I'm, I was going off the age of their children, but you're right. She stalks them while they're still, while they're not even right, married, married yet. yet. Yeah. So I, so for many, many years for this to happen, it also made me think about like actual stalkers and like how yeah. it probably could be really easy if you're a person like me, who is like, insanely unobservant i just was like right. oh my gosh like, <laughs> i could be stalked and i have not a clue totally and in the meantime peter decides to become a policeman like you said after he graduates with a history degree that was weird to me but i let that go i was yeah. like sir you know why it wasn't weird to me is because my dad I think my dad's degree is in criminal justice but he loves history and he wanted to major in history and then he ended up going into law enforcement so there you go <laughs> i just was kind of like wow you've went through a lot and yeah. you with, with the police especially like with his dad and with francis being um officers mm-hmm. with having run-ins to the law not through any fault of his own but through his parents i just was kind of like hmm interesting but i thought the other thing and like i get it like the nypd or whatever is a different animal But I've also, I have a lot of law enforcement in my family. It is a very hard, brutal, and thankless job. And they don't make that much money. So that's like another thing where I was like, is Peter this much of a masochist? I don't know. Meanwhile, Kate is like doing forensic science, which is very cool. Um. (laughs) Well, I was imagining too. And I was just thinking, how are these cops literally wives not working only the the males are working buying freaking houses in the suburbs of new york city i was like (laughs) am i crazy is it not well forty five thousand dollars salary that's like the 70s though i mean they bought those houses so long ago it is less believable to me that kate and peter could afford a house on long island but right I I don't maybe know maybe Kate's making bank. She's supposed to be right second in command of the whole forensic right. unit. I mean, Kate is like very A type, very driven. They end up having two kids, and she's a great mom. Um, I I love just like little snippets of their life where you can tell that Peter is a really good dad, 
but over the course of their marriage especially after they have the kids he slowly is sinking into alcoholism and that was really hard for me to read about I just like it is hard to read but it's like harder because I know and maybe not alcohol is the thing that people choose but I know so many people that really do get like very burnt out by like normal life (laughs) and then they kind of lean into these crutches and end up destroying stuff for Peter I was almost shocked that it took him that long yeah where he had he he held on to um normalcy and overachieving and holding Mm -hmm. on to this perfect persona and it it took him like like over 20 years to finally crack and yeah. to finally, you know, like down bottles and bottles of like hard liquor every day before, he, you know, <clears throat> like like the kind the kind of breaking point, right? And it's crazy to me that like a normal, stable family life is what would allow his. It's almost right. like he was finally not panicking all the time and not trying to be perfect and like. He didn't have to put on the persona. He didn't have to put right. on the show. He had the perfect job. He had the perfect family. He had the yeah. He had the perfect house on Long Island. So now yes. it's, he just, yeah, he, he could like let go. And then he started doing like, you know, doing, or, you know, uh, abuse and alcohol and then like going to work and letting mm-hmm. all, or shooting off his gun on accident. Like the right. stupidest. It's almost like when you're comfortable and then you have to really look at what is still bothering you. <laughs> like, right. And you're like, okay, everything's great. This is what I've always wanted, but I'm still, like, not happy. Or he says something like, like, there's this difference in opinion where Kate, who comes from a very stable home, is like, this is all she ever wanted. This is, like, perfect life to her. Like, she loves her husband. She's got two kids. She has, like, a really enjoyable career. And then the same exact lifestyle is something that, like... Peter's like isn't there more like isn't there what's missing here and then it's like you know looking inside of himself being like wait I guess it's me like I'm the problem here right he realizes he's been like (laughs) filling his life with things and like achievements and trying to you know and (laughs) it's like okay I'm I'm at my (laughs) the end so I think to be honest with you my stress level over whether or not Kate and Peter would get a divorce was even higher than what the heck Anne was going to do to Francis Gleason. Like I (laughs) was so afraid that they were not going to make it. And I mean, I would have understood if the author had made that choice. Um, But that was very stressful for me. I felt like she really kept you on tender hooks there. She definitely did, I, but at the same time, I also felt like I didn't feel as broken up about it or even the thought of it because I was like, you know what, Kate, you have done what you can do. Mm-hmm. He has got, he's got to get his own help. He's got to get. Totally. I mean, he well, at, was at such some an point, enabler for so yeah, long. I, you're right. And I will say one thing that I, I literally was like, I need an outside perspective here. The two of us do not drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. 
the social alcoholism within the book for a freaking alcoholic i was like how dare you go out to a restaurant and have a huge bottle of wine when your husband is supposedly trying to be (laughs) sober and is suffering suffering from alcoholism and a single drink can take this man back i just was like i need someone out there to explain to me (sighs) where do you get to the point of like it's okay and acceptable and there's yeah the abuse pride level was a lot like at the end because you get the i mean i'm sure she does have friendships but she doesn't she still is pretty much all about her and peter and their life and she's close to her sisters but she doesn't want to tell them jack crap about what's happening and i am the kind of person where it's like if something of this magnitude was going on there's going to be at least one person that i would have to confide in right not only your therapist but you need a person that every day you can talk to yes yes look at here be my sounding board am i crazy well and in reality it's like a sister is perfect for that because she i don't know there are certain people that would i'm sure would not judge peter in the way that she felt like that was gonna judge him you know he he and her both were like oh my gosh it needs to be this big secret and i was kind of like y'all i mean if you want to keep it a secret okay (laughs) keep it a secret but just like you said people know what he's been through yes people know that people in his family have dealt with alcoholism it's not that big of a deal to just say, hey, right. there's an issue and I really don't want us to have a drink on Christmas Day. Like, I just yes. was like, you're making this a bigger deal than what it is. Totally. Yeah. All that. There's a lot of pride there. And you know what? Francis Gleason was a very prideful man. So <laughs> there you go. Um, it's okay. Then you have this. So, like, eventually he gets, you know, discharged from the police and he has to go to rehab. And all Anne is involved. Yes, the Anne thing. I was like, she actually, Mary Beth set this up perfectly. And basically, Kate is at, like, her wit's end. And I guess, okay, we're saying she would have to confide in somebody. Well, she chooses to go out and confide in her insane mother-in-law who just happens to be outside the house that night or whatever and like who she hasn't spoken to in 25 years i i get the desperation there i really do it's a little i mean she's really like grasping at straws here and again this is another book where i'm like go to couples therapy (laughs) (laughs) make it an anthem come on seriously y'all of all people need to go to personal actually Anne says that later Anne and Francis are having a talk where they're like Anne had been through therapy Francis never sought out therapy for all the stuff that he's been through and Peter never went to see a psychologist until he went into rehab and it was like Anne's like yeah they'll make him do that in there and it's going to be good for him or whatever I'm pretty sure he actually spoke to somebody like the night that he um ended up losing his job or like you know from those yeah and remember, because he, he kind of, like, went on a bender a little mm-hmm. bit. And, like, he revealed too much. Right. And then, like, later regretted it and was like, yeah, you should have been deal- dealing with this for years. <laughs> and not just had all this, like, pent up, like, you know. I know. 
Which with Peter, honestly, as a teenager, it's like, well, who's going to go take him to the therapist? Uncle George? No. He's good, but he's not that good. Um, And, by the way, it makes me so happy that George, like, finds love. (laughs) I know! (laughs) He really just, like, has a good little life. Um, He deserves it. He does. But, anyway, there's a moment where... (sighs) Peter is in denial about the drinking and everything for a long time, even after he loses his job. And uh, finally he relents and it's like, maybe you're right, Kate. Like, maybe you're right. I I think I do need to go to therapy. And she is like Johnny on the spot. Like you want to go to rehab? We're going to get you there tomorrow. Like, (laughs) I I admire. I could not get over the sheer determination of this woman to get that man immediately like she was like while um mm-hmm. while the going's good <laughs> we're gonna get I, going or however that expression goes i could really relate to that i feel like i don't know i think that that was the right thing to do but then she's got to find child care for her two kids and eventually it boils down to the only person they can ask is Anne. and i'm thinking I was like, no. In what world? I was thinking for specifically of you. I don't think that you would have ever done that. Ever. I was just thinking, honey, I get it. <laughs> Put the kids in the car and yes. head down there. And, yeah. and on, on the way back, we'll talk about, you know, we have some difficult things in our family we have to deal with. And here's one mm-hmm. of them. Right. <laughs> you don't have to even go into full details because daddy needs to go to this hospital for a little while because he's sick or whatever. At, at this point, I believe, was this maybe only the second time she had spoken to her in these 25 years? I was like, he shot your father's face off. I, <laughs> I mean. Even, you know, and she does have a great redemption arc. But at the same time, yeah. this woman doesn't have a clue about that. Yeah. She doesn't know her the way that she thinks. And I was like, to Mm-mm. entrust my children? Yes, that's not going to happen. You you know how I feel about this. There's just no way. It's like hard no. There would be no trust there. Mary Beth is a great <laughs> writer, but that made me think she ain't got kids. I yeah. Was like, no way. Yeah. I mean, I do think that that's maybe the only way cinematically speaking like it could have worked out for her to weasel her way back in or whatever and she has she has changed but it's just Anne's kind of like drained of personality in the end there you know like what talks like how she you know remember she was like so beautiful that was like the emphasis mm -hmm. and she's like this tiny frail old white haired woman like you know like she's she's kind of lost all the all the, the luster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the piece de resistance is she's watching the kids and Francis turns up. I will say, I'm like, Francis, you are a stand up man that he just took like a $120 cab ride <laughs> to save the his baby girl. Night, right. To try and be there for her and watch the kids. And I was like, where's Lena in this situation? Is she just recovering? Okay. Or? So that's what I meant at the top of the episode where I'm like, okay, this is where I want a little bit more Lena. So those two, uh, Anne and Francis kind of like get to a mutual understanding. They kind mm-hmm. of forgive one another on like the lowest of levels, but you know, obviously there's just, there's just too much for it to ever be like, yeah. a, a, you know, a hunky dory situation. Um, I, 
I do think it was good because Francis had a lot of resentment, like a lot of resentment uh, naturally. Um, And I feel like he was able to at least see her as a human being and like even forgive Peter a little bit more, like accept Peter. That was one of the big points is after he finally sees her, he finally feels like Peter is like one of his own blood. You know, where he had had a hard time accepting him before right. that. Right. Which also is, very, it is quite sad to think that's like the father of his grandkids. You know, you just mm-hmm. can't have, but okay, I'm trying to think. So Peter spends the next month in rehab. He comes home. He, he gets a job and yes. then he relapses. And uh, yeah, around the that relapse? time, that's where like the, the freaking social drinking again. I was like, <sighs> I just, don't yeah. grasp this concept. I, maybe she was just thinking we're not going to be totally sober. We're just going to like have a drink now and again. But I was like, I just don't feel like you understand the concept of alcoholism and like how easy it is to slip into stuff. I just was like, Kate, for as smart as you are, this just seems like a dumb, dumb mm-hmm. move. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. What's like the final? Okay, so of this book, it's they like there for Christmas or something. So they find out that Brian has died. He, oh yes, he was in yeah. Georgia when he died. He um, <laughs> they they just had like a whole secret life. He had never he had lived with this woman for ten years. He never told her about his wife and his son. When he dies, all of his assets go to Anne and go to Peter. Which I was like, okay, you better be glad. That at least on your deathbed, you are trying to send him money. Does it make up for anything? No. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay. Um, and then, like, the last piece of the puzzle is that Francis is, like, shocked. Like, he gets something. And it turns out to be three different uh, pictures. Yeah. And the three pictures that um, that Brian would keep in his, like, um, hat that he would wear for work. Like, his mm-hmm. whatever those little hats are called. Um, and the, and like so like when you saw them, they're like yellowed and stained. But it was like, but Francis was like, you know, I think this is just a show. Like every time he take his hat off, like like he, you know, he would think about these people. He would think about Peter. He would think about Anne and like their family and kind of like trying to, I guess, show the significance they had to him. Even though obviously he's totally squandered that in like the later part of his life. But yeah. like for a time, he did truly have love for them and probably regretted. You know, mm-hmm. what he went through or what he, what what he imposed upon them yeah that was still a little like it didn't em- have to, I, empty yeah, I for me yeah i'm like well you know this story does need a true villain and i'm okay <laughs> with that being bright <laughs> <laughs> what she really tried to do was everybody had a bit of a redemptive arc they really did yeah. you know yeah. and kind of came back brian kind of came back Francis, after cheating on his dadgum wife that, like, did everything for him, kind of came back. Like, you know, she tried to have that full circle moment with everyone. Peter and um, uh, Kate were kind of in a good place, but still, I felt like it was a bit normal where it's like, you know, like, I don't think he was totally sober. Everything wasn't perfect, but it felt like it mimicked everyday life more where it's like, okay, they have the, problems they're they're, right. they're willing to work through them the commitment was there and it made me happy that at the end of the day 
they weren't like faking love for one another like it even goes through the fact that like when he comes back from rehab is she finds it hard to connect with him again but like they make their way back towards that you know what i mean like actual real love and not just like well we have so much (laughs) riding on this that we are stuck with each other there's one part where she talks about like how or i think what's him actually he talks about like he looks at her and like his heart swells and like have you ever had those moments where it's like that overwhelming power of like care for somebody where it's Mm -hmm. almost like shocks you and it was just when i read that i really was very much like a little um a little teary-eyed that got me teary-eyed and then talking about Anne pulling the splinters out of his hands as he was a little boy as like a you know a story for like you know yeah she did some wrong things but she always loved him although Mm -hmm. she didn't always have like the mental capacity to show it correctly I just was really like what a great book yeah it was really good I surprisingly did not cry when I was reading this book but I what I know I don't know my eyes were dry but I was loving it (laughs) <laughs> I think we really did love it because um, do you know that we've been talking about this book for an hour and a half <laughs> lucky you listener <laughs> but listen we gave the the entire rundown so if yeah. you don't want to read this book <laughs> you know everything about it <laughs> we just gave it to you but you should read it because it was that good but I think we got a lot of good things in store yeah all right happy listening thank you and if you can if you want to give me a baby gift, leave us a, <laughs> please leave us a review. It really helps people find us and we appreciate them so much. Even if it's just a star review. We will take either. Um, also, <laughs> anytime you ever want to chat about a book, hit us up in the DMs at One Page More Podcast on Instagram. Whoop, whoop. All right. See ya. Bye.